Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. I'm Kelly Casperson. I'm a board-certified urologist, and I'm so excited today to talk about the male perspective, or if you're a woman, the male perspective for the woman, um, because it's just as important to learn about the male goings-on in the pelvis as it is in the female, and I don't want to assume anybody learned anything in med school because I certainly didn't, so I'm going to share my screen and tell you what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation, so we're going to talk about why it's important more so if you are in a long-term relationship with a penis owner. Um, and for the content of my talk, we'll talk about penis owners and men and kind of use that generically, but certainly there are people who identify as male that don't own penises. But we're gonna be talking about dysfunction of the male genitalia in this talk. So understanding the physiology of erections, what treatment options are on the horizon and what are currently available, then we'll talk about premature ejaculation. So erectile dysfunction, the definition is the inability to attain and maintain erection adequate for sexual intercourse. So erections can happen, but if they don't last long enough to provide a sexual uh, satisfying event, that can also be erectile dysfunction. So it's incredibly common. It's incredibly shameful. The, one of the reasons is that men and women have really have tied up this concept of masculinity and that masculinity is the ability to get an erection at a moment's notice whenever you want without needing arousal and you can have it last as long as you want. It's really a performative based stereotype that only harms us when we age, when we're in long-term relationships, when we have medical comorbidities, when our body doesn't perform in the performative stereotype we've put it in. So high prevalence, 40% of men over 40, 80% of men over 80, large impact on quality of life may affect overall survival. One of the reasons for that is erectile dysfunction can be, not always, but can be a sign of cardiovascular health. Number one killer of men in America, heart disease. As a reminder, number one killer of women in America, heart disease. Not breast cancer that we think it is. Uh, and for men, it certainly isn't prostate cancer. It's heart disease. So erectile dysfunction is highly treatable, um, and it's also highly associated with comorbid conditions and medications for these conditions. So male sexual dysfunction, the erections, orgasm, and ejaculation, they are literally three separate things. They all have different nervous systems and different triggers, um, but you have to get them all coordinated if you want them all to function properly. Uh, to In a very stereotype, the reason that this is all designed is to put sperm into a female to then reproduce and populate the world or keep your population alive. Um, certainly we can have orgasms without erections, we can have uh, ejaculation um, without orgasm. Again, in kind of research things, we can really separate them out, but that's more than the talk that we are gonna do today. So erectile dysfunction, two main types, kind of how we think about it, psychogenic and physiologic. Again, welcome to the world of Western medicine where we separate uh, mind and body, right, a lot of our health, we can't separate from mind and body. The mind plays a huge role in a man's ability to have an erection, but we separate this out because we're Western medicine people in mind and body. So psychogenic is arteries and nerves are intact. 
you can get uh, erections in some situations. Most commonly, you can get erections fine with masturbating, but then not with a partner or not with certain partners. Um, and then physiologic ED, you tend to have a kind of universal erectile dysfunction. Um, that morning wood, waking up with an erection, that doesn't work. Masturbation doesn't work. Partnered sex doesn't work. When it's more physiologic going on. So psychogenic, anxiety, shame, anger, distraction, not being in, in the, the mind for sex, especially as men get older, right? So what hurts us is that when men are younger, it's very, very easy to get an erection. You don't even have to be thinking about sex. You can get an erection, right? And so you, they almost can dissociate arousal and erection or pleasurable touch and erection when you're young you don't actually need those things we know through the data as men get older they do need more touch more arousal to get their head in the game they aren't these automatic performative beings that they are when they're young so they almost learn about sex backwards right and don't have the tools for when their body then needs arousal um, to have their mind in the game stimulation things like that so when sex is a performance you can fail at it that's why erections are so damaging to the man's ego and to the couple is because it's a sense of failure because we make sex be a performance and your ability to achieve your ability to perform and then we don't think about sex in a very holistic the man is more than his penis the man can be sexual in more ways than his penis and that's where we really get into a lot of shame and then um, couples not talking about this so physiolo physiology of erections we have neurologic and vascular components. So we have parasympathetic, I always, we were taught this in med school, parasympathetic, point, PP, and then sympathetic, shoot. So point and shoot, parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system. So um, we were able to break this down and study it using um, spinal cord injury patients to be able to figure out they can still ejaculate even if they can't get erect um, using electrostimulation uh, of the pelvic nerves. So physiology, we have a vascular component. We have to have arteries pour blood into the penis or corporal bodies. And then we, it basically compresses against the tunica, which then compresses the vein so you can't get any outward flow. So blood flows in, it holds it there until arousal, ejac you te technically ejaculation is done, and then the veins drain the blood back out. So if you think of arteries, arteries vasodilate, we vasodilate to get the blood into the penis. And then we have um, expansion of, is limited by the tunica albuginea and that's what compresses. So the penis is full, compresses the veins. So now no blood can come back out of the penis. The expansion of the penis prevents the outflow. So current treatments for erectile dysfunction, lifestyle modification, very big one. We know, again, canary in the coal mine, if you think of the erection and heart disease. So adequate sleep, adequate exercise, a heart-healthy diet, um, no smoking. That Literally, if they put on smoking packages, this will cause you to not have erections that work well. Put it something like that. This causes erectile dysfunction. The rate of smoking, at least in men, I think, would plummet. So the anti-smokers need a campaign put this breaks your penis on the packaging and there you go so other current treatments oral medications we're going to talk about if there's any data for herbal supplements um, injections vacuum erection device and then surgical options so like we talked about with physical um, activity weight loss improving uh, your glucose control improving insulin resistance stop smoking and then uh, there's a role of inflammation and endothelial damage
So current treatments, oral treatments, are your best-known pill in the entire world, Little Blue Pill, Viagra Blockbuster Medication, Sildenafil, Vardenafil, um, there's an under-the-tongue Vardenafil that's called Staxin, Tadalafil is your Cialis, and then Stendra is, is your other one. So they're called PDE5 inhibitors, um, and they're all, I call them cousins, they're all cousins. Uh, of each other. Sildenafil is what the generic Viagra is dirt cheap now. Um, it's dosed in 20 milligram tabs. Uh, where brand name Viagra is 25, 50, and 100. So sometimes you have to take a couple of the generic Sildenafil um, to make equivalents. Um, dirt cheap. A lot of insurance doesn't cover this. A lot of insurance doesn't cover sexual health in general, male or female. So at least it's gender inclusive in their inability to cover anybody. But uh, generic sildenafil, again, pennies to the dollar, dirt cheap now. So current AUA uh, guidelines for herbal therapies is, despite the fact that herbal therapies uh, make a lot of people a lot of money and people want to buy them, they are not well documented to be successful. Um, and they said a lot of these herbal supplements are actually contaminated with Viagra-type substances in them. So no herbal supplement is actually recommended by the medical societies. It, I tell people you're just making expensive urine. <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's the deal with it because you'll get people and they'll say, oh, this herb worked for me. Placebo works. If, you th if you're going to get more confidence and think that your penis is going to get erect because you swallowed this pill, it might. That's called the placebo effect. Placebo effect is incredibly high in sexual um, health studies too. So in the Viagra study where they gave guys Vi Viagra and sugar pill, the sugar pill worked 40% of the time. You will get an erection 40% of the time if you take a sugar pill. The thing is, Viagra actually worked better than the sugar pill. So point being, as long as these herbal uh, supplements, they're going to work for some people because placebo does work. So what about testosterone? Testosterone therapy is not indicated for the treatment of erectile dysfunction in the person with a normal serum testosterone level. However, if somebody presents to you with erectile dysfunction, it's recommended to check a testosterone because if you find people with low testosterone and you give them testosterone, you might improve their erections. Now we have injectables. The only FDA-approved medication is L-prostadil. Um, you can get compounded medications that include L-prostadil and some other ones. Um, compounded can actually be cheaper than the brand, than the FDA-approved um, in some circumstances. So you have to get over the hump of putting a needle in your penis. Um, but it can work, and it, in a lot of studies, it works better than um, oral medications. So contraindications if you are on anticoagulation, sickle cell disease, leukemia, because uh, you have an increased risk of priapism. Again, priapism is prolonged erection without sexual um, stimulation, usually defined greater than four hours. So there's urethral suppositories, um, which is intraurethral aprostadil, side effect of burning. I don't think they work very well. I don't use them very much in my practice. Um, so they can be irritating. I tell, I tell guys it's kind of like putting a little piece of bird seed in the tip of the penis um, to get the medication into the, the penis that way. So the vascular erection device, which is the penis pump, is another option. Um, Success rate can be 60 to 80%, but it tends to, guys tend to say it's a, it's a fake feeling erection. It's more of a cold penis because it kind of sucks in venous blood instead of that, that hard arterial blood. Dropout rate up to 86%. So 
surgical uh, options, there's vascular surgeries, which are not done most times, um, unless you're a really young guy with a very kind of acute onset, if it's an arterial problem to reroute arteries. Um, and then there's penile prosthesis, been around for a long time, semi-rigid, and then inflatable. So inflatable penile prosthesis, invented in the 1970s. You put a pump in the scrotum. It usually hides behind the testicles. Um, you can pump it up and put it back down, so it really mimics more a natural erection. And unless you're married to a urologist and you're like in the locker room at the gym, nobody's going to notice you have a penile prosthesis in. It's very natural looking. Um, the other thing about this, what I find is that guys are really satisfied with it. They're satisfied with it more if their partner is involved in the discussion and kind of the care and understanding. If you're just going to go surprise your spouse with a penile implant, I think there's there's a lack of communication there, which is much greater than just the erectile dysfunction. That's a big surgery. It's a it's a outpatient surgery, but it's a decent recovery. It's tender. Um, the other thing is this is not recommended unless you have complete erectile dysfunction because you actually have to place these uh, artificial cylinders in the erectile bodies of the penis. So in doing that, you, you basically damage those cylinders because you're replacing them with this artificial pump. So if it were to ever need to come out for infection or erosion or injury or whatever it might be, you're going to be left with completely no erections. So you usually wait for a guy to have no erections to put it in because if you ever had to take it out, you have no erections. So um, AMS is a big, big company. A AMS and Boston Scientific are the two companies that make inflatable penile prostheses. Um, so you can see that they place the reservoir behind the testicle and you pump it up. It makes the erection happen and then you squeeze the um, pump when you're done and it brings the penis back down. So there are... Um, Malleable penile prosthesis, so they're just a core that you bend up and you bend down, so there's less moving parts, possible lower infection risk. It's a technically easier surgery, but it doesn't look as natural because you always kind of have a semi-rigid penis. So future ED treatments, what's coming down the pipeline? You guys might see these in wellness clinics um, because I think there are some unscrupulous people that are selling these for cash um, for desperate men and their partners to get their penises working. Stem cell transplant. Uh, is a future ED therapy um, injecting with platelet-rich plasma. That's called the P-Shot. That is um, also marketed. And then shockwave therapy. Um, none of the future treatments are recommended. The AUA guidelines say none of the future treatments, which are currently available for cash, are um, to be offered to men outside of investigational clinical trials. Uh, because we don't know who the best candidates are and how well they work. Again, placebo study works, or placebos work very well in sexual health. You give somebody money, they tell you you're going to get your erection back, especially in psychogenic, you're going to get your erection back. So more, study, more studies are needed. So ED treatment is currently stepwise, regardless of the etiology. Current first-line therapy is oral medications. I think a lot of non-urologists would argue that sex therapy is current first-line therapy in addition to the medications because sex therapy can really figure out the underlying, you know, couples' uh, interactions. What are we doing during sex? Do they have a performance-based mentality around sex? How do we get 
their view of sex not to just be penis and vagina intercourse and how can we expand that into more pleasure and touch and not have it be just kind of all about penis and vagina because when that is broken the whole the whole system falls apart if couples don't have tools to fall back on so sex therapists are very important um I don't think, you know, growing up in the urology world, sex therapy was not offered. Uh, Really, it's just meds. When Viagra came out, it was a blockbuster, absolute blockbuster. And the problem is we do not have enough sex therapists. um, 40% of men at age 40 have ED. I have five sex therapists in my town, just as an example, and they're booked and not accepting new patients. So as much as I say, yes, you should go see a sex therapist, it's very difficult to actually, there's just not enough of them. But realizing that relationship, your understanding of sex, your understanding of pleasure versus performance, all plays a role in satisfied sexual life. And we don't always have to have a a penis that's performing. And even if you have a penis that's performing, if all those other pieces aren't right, you can still have sexual dissatisfaction. So going on to Peyronie's disease, Peyronie's today, remember today we're going to talk about erections, Peyronie's disease, and premature ejaculation. So Peyronie's disease is literally curvature of the penis. Um, it's a little plaque that develops in the tunica albuginea, kind of like a scar tissue. We don't really know how it happens. We think maybe micro trauma. We think maybe genetic. Some guys are just more prone to it than others. There is a condition called Dupuytren's contracture, which is kind of like um, scar tissue in the hands. Some people can get it in the feet. Uh, and that tends to be related. So I have met guys where they come in for Peyronie's and I, I ask them about their hands or look at their hands and they've had like a trigger finger release or they have Dupuytren's contractures in their hands thinking it's a connective tissue disorder. Um, mild penile curvature doesn't prevent intercourse, but significant penile curvature does, significant being 30% or greater. Uh, how common is this? We don't really know because a lot of guys don't get treated. Some people say one in 10 men may have Peyronie's disease, more common as we get older. The other theory on this, if it is due to micro trauma or buckling with sexual intercourse, the older you get, if your erections aren't as firm, they might be more prone to buckling and getting that micro trauma over time to cause a scar tissue. So there's two phases of the disease, active phase and stable disease. Active disease is the um, angle of the penis can change, tends to be more um, painful, can be associated with erectile dysfunction and then stable disease they tend to say it's been stable for at least three months before you can get approved for any therapies injection therapies so at least three months of no changes uh, less common that there's pain going on and you can again have erectile dysfunction with this or not with this stable disease means the deformity is no longer progressive so Zyaflex came on the market a couple years ago it's collagenase clostridium histolyticum. What it does is you, you inject it into the plaque. You have to, it's very strict criteria for insurance to cover this. You have to document um, the degree of curvature, uh, how long it's been stable. There's a lot of criteria for it. But you inject the um, collagenase clostridium into the plaque, and then you do home and in-clinic modeling exercises where you work on straightening and lengthening the penis. So. You and your healthcare provider will also do gentle stretching and straightening activities to help reduce the curve in your erection and straighten the shaft of your penis. So it's a series of injections, and then you can repeat the series of injections. Works pretty well. Uh, I don't think it's completely replacing surgery, um, but guys do notice a, at least a decrease in the uh, 
the penis. Again, we're not trying to get a completely straight penis. We're trying to get a penis that is um, acceptable for intercourse. So next up is surgery, what we had before we had the Zyaflex. So we basically take the skin off of the penis and then find where the curve is. And if you can think in your head of taking stitches where the curve is and stitching it down to kind of straighten angle that penis back upwards. Side effect of that is you can kind of shorten the penis because you're kind of just buckling it on one side to straighten it out. So that is called a plication surgery. You can also remove the plaque or put like a remove it and then put a graft in the area. And then the and those would be the surgeries that you would do if a guy had still had good erectile function. But if somebody had a uh, Peyronie's disease and erectile dysfunction, they would recommend if you're going to do surgery, the surgery would be just a penile prosthesis because that's going to straighten out the penis and fix the erectile dysfunction. So moving on to premature ejaculation, how many men have this? Again, we don't know because a lot of men with this aren't seeking doctor's help, right? So it can either be lifelong or acquired. Lifelong is you, ever since you remember you had very, very fast uh, ejaculation. Acquired is your sex life was serving you well until a certain time and then you started having premature ejaculation. Maybe 5% of men, I've seen studies up to 30% of men. In the 1960s, this, I just think this is interesting, Masters and Johnson, who are kind of the premier people who normalize discussing and studying sexual function in America, they define premature ejaculation as ejaculation that occurs before the female partner has experienced sexual climax during at least 50% of sexual encounters. Couple problems with this. Number one, his definition of his premature ejaculation depends upon the partner's satisfaction, right? The other problem with this is what we know from the female data, putting the penis in the vagina does not lead to orgasm in the majority of women, right? Remember, 30% of women have orgasm by penis and vagina sex unless you also stimulate the clitoris, then it goes up. So they've revised this because they didn't like Masters and Johnson's, and I agree kind of a crappy definition. So now for science and research studies, they kind of have to define the time. So it's a, they say less than a minute. Some studies will say less than two minutes. Or another definition of it is it happens before you want it to happen with the exception of the you know tantric people who want to be having sex for 90 minutes and they're only lasting 10 minutes. We'd say, yeah, you're technically normal. That's physiologically within the realm of normal. Normal uh, time from putting a penis in a vagina to ejaculation, three to nine minutes. Most people have ejaculated by 12 minutes. Again, this is important for the female because that is too short a period of time for her to achieve uh, orgasm. In most cases, women tend to take longer when partnered with men. Again, clitoris is important. So all important, all ties back. So what doesn't tend to work for premature ejaculation? Trying to decrease uh, sensation and pleasure, putting on two condoms, using lidocaine jelly, or distracting yourself, thinking about, you know, you're balancing your checkbook or doing math, tends not to work. And then when you stop doing those things, the problem just comes back. So reducing pleasure doesn't tend to be a solution. AOA guidelines about, talk about some medication, daily SSRIs. What we're doing with these antidepressants, these SSRIs, the side effect of that, of these meds, is delayed ejaculation. You put a guy on an antidepressant, he says, it takes me a really long time to have an orgasm and to have ejaculation. So we said, well, what if we give people with premature ejaculation these medications to basically give them the side effect as a treatment for the condition? Uh, other uh, things that have been tried is tramadol and then alpha blockers, um, such as Tamsulose and Flomax, Rapaflo. 
stuff like that. So the reason why alpha blockers are thought to work is because there's alpha receptors in the seminal vesicles and you're kind of delaying them from doing their job by putting them on an alpha blocker. Um, so those are the medications. Again, the problem with the medication is you stop the medication, you kind of, not to say dependent, but you stop the medication, the problem comes back, right? So sex therapy again, and remember, sex in a partnered relationship is a team-based approach. This is not just his problem to fix. The partner absolutely plays a role in this Le and learning ejaculatory control. They call it a three-step process of identifying the point of ejaculatory inevitability using the start and stop technique. So the partner plays an active role in providing and kind of limiting the stimulation. Wait for the urge for ejaculation to pass and then resume. You can be trained to do this usually within the auspices of sex therapy. So sex therapy, incredibly important. Another reason that guys can have, and I put that chicken and egg you know, analogy up there, is because if you're starting to struggle with erectile dysfunction, you get a little anxious, a little rushed, then you can kind of have secondary premature ejaculation because you're rushing. So I just recently saw a guy struggling with erections and then noticed on top of that started to have premature ejaculation mostly because he was rushing in hoping that the penis would last long enough for the sexual encounter. So now you have two things to, to work on. So in him, treating the erectile dysfunction would in theory help his premature ejaculation because he now has more confidence in his erections. But again, a sex therapist to help work with that anxiety. And a lot of men, number one reason for low desire in men is erectile dysfunction, right? So one number one reason men avoid intercourse or sex in general is trouble with the penis, erectile dysfunction, um, and then premature ejaculation and peyronies, right? And so a lot of men also have uh, the sexual relationship, the, that intimacy is the sex. And so when that goes away, the intimacy really stops. That Any sort of touch might lead to sex or might lead to triggering pressure to have a sex in a situation where he might not feel confident. So really sex therapy to again, bring to the forefront how the partners can work together to help these conditions. This book, there's this fantastic book, Barry and Emily McCarthy, Reclaiming Desire, has a whole section on erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation. I refer my patients to this book a lot um, because it really talks about how the woman or the partner plays an important role and the role of sex therapy and how they can actually solve a lot of these problems without needing medical interventions. So I really like to say medicine and sex therapy, not one or the other. Um, and then the, again, the number one reason men avoid intimacy is secondary to function issues or anxiety about function issues. So another piece to take away from this for the female partners, what I see people do all the time, I'm guilty of it too, is what you make your partner's sexual function and health mean about you, right? So a lot of women will layer on his penis doesn't work, it means I'm unlovable, I'm undesirable, he doesn't want me, he's cheating. We're laying on this extra level of anxiety and separateness from your partner when instead we couldn't be leaning in saying this is a partner issue. Just like we say, women's low desire is a, is a partnership issue. It's two people's issue, it's not one person's issue. Don't add that, just catch yourself doing it, right? So to not add that additional stress on and really to facilitate a team-based approach leaning in and even bringing up, you know, like, I'm making this mean that I'm not desirable. Can you help me with that? And they can be like, oh, my gosh, like, no, I, I really want to be with you. I'm just anxious that it's not going to work or I'm not going to please you. It's very hard for a man to say, 
or that you are going to think I'm less than less of a man because of this. But they're thinking that as much as women are piling on what women make it mean. So love, support, and understanding as much as you can. Sex therapists really do help people with that too. Thank you so much for joining me today. That is a whirlwind of male sexual function. And I hope to talk to you soon. Leave me feedback if you can here. And I'd love to hear from you guys. You guys are all totally worthy of love, great sex lives, and you are not broken. All the best.